0: Hey guys, I'm sorry to say that this week we don't have an episode of the Cast Dice podcast. As hoped, uh, we did have a few cancellation of guests and I just couldn't turn around to get something recorded this week. I did have a request though to publish... Uh, part of an old LRDG2 episode. Now, the LRDG2 was the predecessor to Cast Eyes. And I think you'll probably recognize both of the voices on this episode, as it is me and our old buddy Pete West, who has been on quite a lot recently. He's always a great guest, and we spend a lot of time talking about Marine Raiders. Of course, that is absolutely appropriate, given the drop that Warlord did showing the new uh, Marine Raider models, uh, or should I say the re-release of the Marine Raider models, but we'll talk about that on a future podcast. Anyway, uh, the make raid by the Marine Raiders has always been uh, a, a really interesting conflict for me in World War II, and I think that this is uh, some great content that got lost to the sands of time when WWPD went away, and so we're republishing it on this network. Guys, please excuse the audio. Mine in particular, Pete sounds fine. Um, I am, my levels are wrong for this. And it just shows just how much uh, this podcast has come along over the years. Stay tuned. We will be back with more new regular content next week and the following weeks after that. Thank you for your patience. And uh, we hope you enjoy this blast to the past. Have a good one, guys. Stay safe out there. And we're back with more bolt-action goodness for your e-holes. I have the man. Okay, I say the man, the myth, the legend quite a lot. But I do have a true legend of the Australian bolt-action scene here. We have the T.O. for WinterCon every year. And more to the point, the big kahuna itself, CanCon. Peter West, what is going on?
1: Hey, Brad. How you doing? Oh,
0: dude, I'm great. I get to, you know get you on and talk shop now pete one of the other reasons why i've asked you on today is of course because you know more about the u.s marine corps especially in the uh, pacific war than uh than i do or than anyone i know um tell us a little bit about how you know so much about the marines
1: well first of all you probably need to meet some more people if i'm the one who knows the most but um I Look, I've always had a bit of a fascination with Marines, not just U.S. Marines, but um, Marines across the board. Um, I've always, uh, you know, built a number of Marine forces for various rules, U.S. Marines, Soviet naval infantry, um, British Marines. So it's been a bit of an area of fascination for me over many years.
0: Nice. Now... I bring this up because coming out this week, um, as in the same week that this article, sorry, this episode goes on out to the inner, to the world, on WWPD, I will be putting out a, a new theater selector. Um, I'm going to do this because if you've listened to old LRDGs or old Ghost Army podcasts, you may have heard um, me talking about the Marine Raiders particularly Carlson's Raiders, but there were multiple Raider units. And I've always sort of had a fascination, especially with the Macon Raid. Um, the one on the Macon atoll. Yeah,
1: that's a that's a, yeah, one of the the high, real highlights, I guess, of the marine raider history. In fact probably the highlight of the marine raider history. Um their their, their other adventures are lesser known, but um, I actually thought the reason you liked that one was because of the Getting to paint figures in black pajamas.
0: Well, there's that. <laughs> I like painting the fins in the white pajamas, and I like painting the uh, the Marines in the black pajamas. Funny you say that. I've, uh, <laughs> I've pulled out three Marines, and I'll be painting them in the black camo. Um, and not camo. They've sort of blacked out their uniforms. For those who don't know, yeah. um, so the invasion of Guadalcanal was in full swing, um, like seven days in. Yep. And the U.S. needed... what well, they wanted... To distract Japanese from sending reinforcements from another segment of the Pacific a thousand miles away, and they yep. they basically sent the Marine Raiders in, and these the second Raider group um, deployed onto this Japanese island basically to cause trouble, um, you know, wreck yep. the joint, and leave. Um, but they were inserted via two submarines. Um, and and they literally came in on rubber boats um and they all the gear they had they carried and yeah it was a smash and grab but then on the way out they got caught by the surf and had to ditch their gear some marines got left behind it was a, it was a mess but yeah it it was this great success cuz it was one of the first major battles where the Japanese were beaten. I mean, the Japanese were this scary, unbeatable force. Um, and these guys just came in, you know, wrecked the place, killed a bunch of people, including the commandant for the island, um, yep. blew up a bunch of seaplanes, blew up some yeah. boats, just messed it up. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Pete, because you, I, mean, I think... No, you know no, it.
1: absolutely, you got it right. I mean, it was a real propaganda coup um, at the time, and it was something the Americans could play up, Um mm after some very difficult times. And, you know, uh, it was publicly a great success. But, I mean, as you sort of alluded to, it was really um, almost a complete and utter failure. I mean, it was one of those missions that succeeded more by luck than uh, good planning or good operational art, to be honest. Um, Yeah. And that's despite the fact that, you know, uh, retrospectively, the Marines learned that that they outnumbered the Japanese by about two to one. Yeah. And... Um, the, you know, there's some historical debate about this, but the consensus seems to be at one point the Marines probably at least considered surrender, if not trying to surrender to the jap, if not tried to surrender yeah. to the Japanese. So it was a, it, w- it wasn't the most successful operation at the time.
0: No, it wasn't, and and Marines were left behind, um, by accident. Yep. Uh, what six or seven Marines were uh, missing in action? Nine of them were uh, missing yep. in action, and they tried to pull a hide and like the japanese yep. essentially did later in the war they tried a hiding sort of guerrilla warfare
1: yeah tactic they,
0: and they that didn't work
1: no they managed to hide for uh, i think it was about 12 days before they 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 um were captured um and you know as you're well aware unfortunately the uh japanese subsequently executed them um yeah
0: so. yeah they were uh imprisoned and paraded around a bit before that happened which is just yeah, yeah. but what what I, I've always found interesting about this was the gear that was what the mar, what the Marine Raiders used as their sort of was their T. It was it T.O.E. The um, yep. Yep. base was what later became standard for a lot of Marine detachments in the Pacific. Um, yep. They were the first ones to do this. So they had 10-man squads, but they were broken into three-man fire teams, one with the bar, one with an SMG, and one dude with a rifle. And then you had the 10th guy who was the sergeant um, yep. who would either have a trench gun, a.k.a. a shotgun, or a um, SMG, or just a rifle. And they would deploy and move around in really mobile little— yep tactic um you know it really plays into the american rules would you agree with that
1: oh yeah absolutely i mean like special forces today the marine raiders were given a lot of flexibility about what weapons they took and how they organised themselves totally carlson in particular um you know came up with this concept of the the three 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 by three Mm -hmm. with the the machine gun the bar and and interestingly enough, they were one of the first groups of Marines to be issued with the M.M. Garand rifle. So That's right. they were packing a lot of firepower um, in those 10-man teams.
0: Totally. And they also they had another really interesting tactical, I don't know if you want to call it advantage, but the, Carlson was a firm believer. He like had spent some time in China, and he picked up this term called gung-ho. Um, yep. And he really believed that leaders at every level needed to be in on the decision-making process, so we'd have these these informal meetings where anyone in in the rank could, um, you know, officers from the lowest level to the highest level would contribute as equals and spitball ideas and come up with a plan. And in some cases, it's it's supposed to have worked brilliantly. It just so happens that in making, um, with when you know talking about possibly surrendering and whatnot that was, I think the one time it didn't work. Um, Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, Carlson's
1: history was that not only was he in China in particular is embedded with the Chinese communists. So he sort of got that idea from them where there was a degree of egalitarianism in the leadership. Um, Mm -hmm. Which you know came back to bite him later later in the war and after the war, where he was painted as as a bit of a commie sympathizer, but um you know he he bought that heart, those communist um guerrilla tactics and that um collegiate sort of uh, leadership style um from his experiences in China and brought that to this unit and uh you're right it, by and large it served them pretty well but um that uh, that decision to, the decision to um potentially seek a surrender was certainly seems to have been a sort of where that broke down he didn't display the right sort of leadership in i guess what was an environment of defeatism and um sort of things spiraled out of control briefly um yeah. for a while there
0: agreed yeah um one of the things that i find really interesting about the force um besides the the fire teams and um when i was looking at making the um, Making this this force, um, I, I, and I flipped open the Empires in Flames book, um, they actually have a unit entry for Marine Raiders. And what I find, I didn't realize the first couple times I read it, I knew it, but I didn't click, that you can actually make those squads of three- and four-man guys because yep. they come minimum size of three guys. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I've sort of done for... This selector has said for every three guys, you can have one bar, one SMG, and you know, one guy with a pistol, which could be a rifleman, depending on how you wanna arm it. No. So you can actually make those, you know, three you can make those three man fire squads, you can make a four man fire squad if you wanna include the sergeant, um, or you could make six, seven if you wanna do like two together with the sergeant, or even nine or ten if you wanna run the whole thing. Um yep. yeah there's just a lot of flexibility that opened up the entire thing for this the the selectors even existing was because that one unit got published in that book. Um, yeah.
1: I mean it, it's a great it's a great way to go it allows you to create that very historical sort of list. Um, I mean as you and I discussed from gaming terms the real challenge with this force is you either have to play it in a historical scenario with sort of historic japanese um, opponents yeah um, but playing it otherwise you, you sort of face an uphill challenge um your heavy weapons are limited i mean the he- the heaviest thing they carried on macon anyway was the boys anti-tank rifle which they
0: called um, the elephant gun yeah that's right which,
1: which actually was very surprisingly effective they managed to shoot down two planes with them so yeah, you exactly. can't knock them yeah uh, well um, they
0: did it amazingly they did it with only two of them they only yes. brought two of them on they had 60 millimeter mortars um yep. they had two boys anti-tank rifles and they had a, a you know they had some medium machine guns. Yep. And that's really all they did and they had of course they had sharpshooters um yep. I aka snipers but if you look at that I mean that's all they brought to the table. Um yeah. I mean the Japanese didn't have armor on that island so it's not like historically uh, you know they were trying to fight panthers or something with them. No,
1: that's right. But they, I mean, the Japanese certainly had some heavy machine guns, so probably from what I'm reading, some light auto cannons. Definitely. Um, um, so, you know, there was some heavier weapons there on the island. And I I mean, the, also, the Marines fortunately had the advantage of fire support from the submarines. Um, on two occasions, they had mm-hmm. to call in the fire support from the submarines, um, and uh, did surprisingly well for pretty ill-formed ideas about how they do that. Mm. Um, they managed just the submarines uh, managed to sink two ships, um, providing fire support. Um, but yeah, it, it it it's it's a, a going to be a, a fun list to play in a historical scenario. And I think, but it's also just because of the special rules you created, it's one of those lists to be fun to challenge yourself with. Um, Kind of like, uh, you know, the sort of um, a a list like the uh, it's the Danes or the Swedes, something like that, where you haven't got a lot of those heavy weapons, but you just want to you want to stretch yourself a bit and try Mm -hmm. something a bit different.
0: Definitely. Yeah, I I, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if (laughs) I'm going to build an army of it one of these days. And I honestly don't know if if I'll win a game, but um, I think it'll be fun.
1: I look I think it will i mean I, I think in a, a objectives based scenario you could actually do pretty well um, yeah i mean you're gonna you're gonna have an uphill battle, but um you know they're vets you've got a lot of firepower in those mm-hmm. three man teams as as we've already talked about that's right um, well hold
0: on for let's quickly talk about that so for if you ran a three man team as your entire unit you're looking at forty five points for the three guys and then yep. five points for the bar one point for the pistol and three points for the smg so what 54 points um and you get what um two shots or three shots at quote unquote longer ranges and then within 12 it goes up to five shots five attacks in hand-to-hand combat they have stubborn which doesn't count unless you get knocked down to one guy um but hey if you get knocked down to one guy better than a sharp stick in the eye um if you ran it as a six-man squad or a nine-man squad, you'd have a lot more luck with the stubborn rule. Yeah. Um, but you lose some of the variability with it. So, yeah. yeah. I
1: mean, you've got, you got a couple of things going for you. I mean, you, you're going to have a decent dice count with those smaller squads. But yeah. also, I mean, you know, if someone's running armor against you, um, you know, so let's say even Japanese armor for historical purposes, so mm-hmm. even if you're, you're having trouble, you know, knocking it out, I mean, someone's going to be spending a lot of times and points trying to take out three guys, and they're vets, so you're probably not going to take them out in one round of shooting anyway. Um, True. You know, I think you've got quite a lot of sticking power with those um, with the, those uh, vets, and you, you force your enemy to spend a lot of time and effort trying to destroy pretty small squads while you're running around with your other, your other guys.
0: Yeah, and I wrote that rule in with the extra one, you have to have one weapon per three guys. Because otherwise, if you play it right out of the way it's written in the book, you could run, like, nine squads of three guys with three bars each. Yeah. And if you really wanted to be that guy, I'm sure you could just play it with a regular reinforced platoon. But um, I was trying to stick to the to the actual the Marine Fire Team rules um, and how it yeah. worked. Because it wasn't like these guys, you know, really suffered from tons of attrition prior to the mission. It was. They came yep. off the boat in exactly yep. you know regular, in you know, order of battle.
1: Yep. And look, the other thing you can do is, I mean, the first uh, Raider battalion was then in action in Guadal- Guadalcanal. Mm-hmm. So I mean, you can you can take your selector and pair it up with um, some um, a more normal Marines list. Um, mm-hmm. Or even, you know, one of the things I've thought about is uh, using the U.S. airborne list because fighting alongside the Raiders in Guadalcanal were the U.S. Marine Paratroopers. That's right. Um, so you know, I think you can you can um add some other units to this and still have a historical game and you know totally be quite fun and flavorful.
0: Definitely. And I've been watching. I watched a documentary a little not too long ago about. Um, was it the longest patrol, which is when they went out yes. into the the bush and were, yep. you know, just bushwhacking Japanese squads yep. left, right, and center? But they were out, uh, quote unquote, on patrol for something yep. like what five weeks. Yep. And yeah, they came back malnourished, out of ammo, and carrying their enemy's weapons because they ran out of stuff for their for themselves, um, and just yeah, just gutted everyone. They were just. You know, badasses out in the, in the jungle, and they outfought the Japanese in jungle fighting, which is something up until that point. I mean, this got to remember this is Guadalcanal. Yep. Nobody was beating the Japanese, and these guys did it. I mean, they would literally walk past Marine detachments, and they were like, Oh, who are you? You know, who are you, Marines? Like good natured banter, and they're like, We're the Marine Raiders, and dudes would, you know, stand up yep. and salute. Like that, they were just like, Oh, God, like, Holy crap, you're the Raiders? That's amazing.
1: Also, you know, it's interesting that um, the first sort of battle of the 1st Marine uh, Raider uh, Regiment was against um, Japanese Special Naval Landing Forces when they tried to take out the um, The seaplane air base off Guadalcanal. So, you know, you've got Marines fighting Marines in in a sense, which is uh, really, I think, very flavorful. And um, I'd love to do that sometime.
0: Well, I'll tell you what, I'll paint up the Marines if you paint up the... uh... The SNLJA, I can never remember the acronym. You do the Japanese, I'll do the the Marines, and we'll sort it out.
1: Well, the great news is I have some SNLF coming from my wartime miniatures Kickstarter very shortly, and I'm looking forward to painting them up. So I think that's something we can do.
0: Oh, dude, it is on. (laughs) Well, that was... 2016. And now we are back to 2021. And yes, that game never quite happened. Guys, there was reference to a Marine Raiders uh, selector that was put out on WWPD throughout this episode. And yes, that did exist. Uh, Basically, all it was, though, was using the Marine Raider unit entry from the empires and flames book. Um, and it basically just laid it out, uh, removing pretty much all other options from the list, all vehicle options. Uh, and the only options that were in there that Marines normally couldn't take would be adding an anti-tank rifle. As we talked about in the episode, they had the elephant gun as they called it. Now, you can easily recreate that using uh, just Marine Raiders having your lieutenants. Um, we did talk a little bit about using um, an artillery observer um, for the submarine providing air cover. Now, in addition to that, there was uh, there were mortars, there were machine guns, uh, and there were snipers. But other than that, just about everything else you would have would just be marine raider squads in this list. It is a very limited list. I don't know if I'd necessarily take it if you were going to try and recreate the making raid. I think it would be great for a for a narrative scenario. I don't know if I would take it ever to an event. In fact, years later I still haven't, although now that I'm saying this out loud, I am feeling, you know, 5 years on, like maybe this might be a good idea. I do own the models and I have assembled them after all might be time to paint some black pajamas after all these years. Guys, again, I will be back soon. I am sorry about uh, not having a full episode this week. This is just a little tidbit, a little blast from the past, as we said before, to um, tide you over. And we will be back with lots of great content soon. There's a Warlord podcast in the can that we will be getting out to you shortly. Plus, uh, some interviews with some pretty cool friends from uh, overseas. So I'm looking forward to sharing those with you as soon as I am able. I hope you are well out there, guys. And as our buddy Casey always says, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages stay cold. But more than anything else, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, guys. Good night.